0: Welcome to the show. Uh, We've got Brittany Davis and Christy Pitts, both GPs at Backstage Capital. Uh, for those of you familiar with Backstage, we talked about it many, many times over the last few years, both Arlen. Uh, we have a lot of friends in the program. I think when Matt came on the show, we talked about Backstage then. Um, it seems to be like I was swimming around this like kind of backstage. There was partnership potential when we were doing Tech Morning Showcase. We talked to Arlen about coming on stage. And now it it, it appears it's finally going to happen in the form of a King's Crowd Backstage Capital partnership, which I'm sure we'll we'll touch on a little bit later. Mm -hmm. Uh, But first, why don't we start off with uh, either one of you, give kind of the pitch on what Backstage is from someone who's not me describing what it is. Um, And then I'd love to learn a little bit quickly about kind of both of you and what you both focus on within Backstage, and then we'll let the conversation go where it goes.
1: So Backstage Capital, so we're a venture fund, and we invest in founders that have been overlooked in the venture capital ecosystem. Um, and kind of why that makes sense and why is that interesting. So when Arlen was starting Backstage Capital and when, you know, I actually was also looking into venture and just trying to understand the landscape, I think she identified that less than 10 percent of all of venture capital is going to women, people of color, LGBTQ founders, basically anyone that's not a straight white man, uh, you know, getting a tiny, tiny percentage of all VC dollars. Arlen, Started the fund based on that thesis that we could find and invest in the best founders that were being under in and overlooked and really help them get to the next level um, and build their businesses. And as investors, that's a really smart uh, financial opportunity. And we've been working on that ever since. Um, we've invested in over 200 companies now, uh, mostly at pre-seed. Uh, now we're getting through seed series A and even B um, as our companies continue to grow um, and we've also been pretty geographically agnostic, so we keep it fairly open And that some of the investments that we've made um, are also coming from ecosystems that have not gotten a lot of venture capital either. So I find that interesting as well. If, if you start looking at different types of founders, um, they start coming from different types of places, and you can really start to source um, investment deals and opportunities that maybe were being overlooked in different markets and different geographies as well.
2: Yeah, maybe the only thing I'll add is uh, we were really early with this thesis. And since then, so Brittany mentioned that we've invested in 200 companies, but we've also, um, you know, lifted as we climbed. So we brought uh, many other investors into this space, into this thesis, and we continue to work um, closely with other emerging managers to ensure that there's opportunity for underrepresented founders beyond the checks that Backstage itself is writing. Yeah,
0: I mean, look, this has been a conversation that's been trying to be had for, I mean, honestly, since I started Technori, I mean, like this conversation started on stage with us trying to make sure that even the founders that were pitching the business on our stage were represented. It was like, believe it or not, I mean, you obviously both believe this because you work in this industry, but there was a period of time where it's like having four white male founders on the stage was just like to be expected. Like, it would, it, mm-hmm. like that, no one even shrugged at that. And, you know, I think in the early days when tech wasn't so ubiquitous and everyone wasn't talking about startups and entrepreneurship and there's no Gary Vee and all this kind of stuff, like we always had this mandate of, you know, we had five pitches. So 50-50 was impossible, but you get the gist half and half being male and female, and at least one third of the pitches coming from, you know, some underrepresented group. And I mean, sometimes we had to like work really hard to find that and make it work. And other times it was like supernatural, depending on which I think actually becomes a learning for later, which is kind of an area that you guys are attacking. But like there were certain markets that was really hard to find diverse founders in, and then obviously other markets that were much easier. Mm-hmm. All of this stuff, all these conversations, five, six years in the making. I just saw a tweet from uh, Brandon Brooks like a week ago. It was like last quarter, 0.12% of all venture money went to black founders, which is insane to me. Like, yeah. what do we have to do to get the attention. And I think, you know, one of these things, and, and I hope this is part of this conversation, we don't need to try to solve all the world's problems on this, this like couple minute podcast. But like one area, I think it's interesting, and I want to dive in a little bit from your perspective. Mm-hmm. And I'm using the number for African American problems, but like truthfully, this this is like all underrepresented. When we get into times of mass opportunity, which I would qualify as like roughly speaking, when Bitcoin hit 60,000 of Bitcoin, like when we hit like the top tippy top and things are starting to grow crazy. And also when we hit like what we did in May and June, when things start to really get tight, investors tend to go to gravitate to what they know. They pile into deals that are all the people that look and sound just like them. And they invest in the same shit every single time. And then when it comes to, to tightening of, of the purse strings, they go back to double down on those same people. And it's only when they're desperate and they're not going to make their funds work or at the tippy tippy top where they start spending into new areas and i'm trying to figure out i'm just throwing this out there but like ruben flores martinez is a friend of mine cash drop like he's doing such a great job of drawing attention to the idea not that it's about minority representation not that it's like you owe us this it's not that it's that there's a gigantic market in the in the latin american markets fifth largest economy in the world like he's making it present itself in a way where investors are actually stupid to miss it.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm
0: trying to figure out like, how do we work together with, with groups like Backstage to kind of put the two concepts together? One, what is right, that there should be opportunity for everyone to, to succeed. And, and, that you know, I understand it's a money game, but there's opportunity, there's there is a right thing to do and we should be giving people opportunity. On the other hand, there's a huge market female-led products have been under under invested in forever and it's half the population like it just blows my mind so that is the the precept of this conversation like i think that backstage is there to sort of start to bridge this gap and i i see partnerships you guys have with like b of a and others mm-hmm. to like make this more mainstream so tell me how we start going about this how backstage views this do you agree do you disagree with me like try, i'm just trying to figure out the 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 ground zero where we can start building
2: Right now, the situation that we're in is just the result of a systemic problem. So um, one firm can't do it alone. Backstage can't do it alone. Technoria at your events can't do it alone by diversifying your pitch competitions. And our collective efforts have impact, but they're not able to shift the underlying root cause of the systemic issues that exist. With that said, the impact that we do have can be huge. One of the areas that's a focus for us at Backstage is a pillar that we call amplification, and what that means is we're telling the stories of the founders that we've invested in so that there's examples of successful tech founders that don't look like the status quo. And I think our founder, Arlene Hamilton, is a really example, great example of that Amplify um, ethos that we have, which is that you can't be what you can't see. And so if you're a young Black gay woman and you're looking for examples of yourself in BC, Arlen exists for you. If you're building... In South Carolina, we have a portfolio founder who's building in South Carolina. Like we're telling these stories. And as our founders have successes, we amplify that both through our own channels, but then also through relationships that we have with media and others. And so there's really several layers to this. Amplification is one. Another example is who is writing checks and where are those checks going to and how much money do those people manage that are writing the checks? How much capital is in their funds? How much assets under management do they have? And until there are, are much larger firms managed by underrepresented fund managers, we won't see these percentages changing. You know, there might be more Black founders receiving checks today. Those checks are still small in comparison to the checks that um, straight white men are getting, and that's why that's part of the reason why we're seeing these um, terrible news numbers, like what came out last week that that Brandon tweeted about. But at the end of the day, there's progress to be made, and for me. What's a huge motivator is that progress also represents the opportunity to generate wealth. So it's not just a social impact or a social good opportunity, but as we're able to fund these founders, we're able to create returns for our investors. The founders are able to create returns for themselves and their teams. They hire diverse teams, those teams go on to become angel investors themselves, and we're able to seed a new um, tech ecosystem that's more equitable and regenerative.
1: It's so systemic that I think people don't get how bad the problem is unless you have numbers. At least that's how it was for me when I, so my journey to VC just really quickly, it actually started when I became a founder myself. I started a tech company after a long career in investment banking. I ended up trying to start something of my own and then actually pitching investors, I never saw a woman or person of color on the other side of the table. Right. So I kept running into this, but then I also kept building relationships with other founders that were building products and companies that were really high potential that looked like me, but they weren't getting into the the rooms of the people that had money. So it it kept being this disconnect that I also saw as an opportunity, but I didn't know how bad the problem was until um, there were statistics out there showing that, you know, less than what is it, 1% of capital venture capital goes to black founders, you know, less than 2% to women founders, et cetera. And those single digit percentages, it flows from the top. Then I started like peeling back, you know, layer after layer. And if you really think about the disconnect, it it does start um, at the top of the industry. I believe it's like 98% of all of, you know, financial assets under management. So if you think private equity um, of all kinds, venture capital, all kind of those types of assets under management being invested, 98% is run by white men leaving less than 2% where any person of color or woman is in that decision uh, making seat. So when you have a disparity that big at the top of all financial assets under management, then I started saying, okay, well, how how do we shift this? When most of the decisions in private capital are being made based on people Building relationships, and usually those relationships are kind of in your circles, and those people in your circles probably look and sound or come from places like you. A lot of it is, to Christie's point, you know, really diversifying people who are who are at the table writing checks, and that's why it's so important for Backstage to exist—one that we're you know kind of different in this space, and that we're a fund yeah. led by you know, a group of diverse women, uh, women of color. Um, LGBTQ, different women of different backgrounds, we can see opportunities that people are overlooking. So we're able to get past that, that blind spot of everyone kind of doing the same thing and chasing the same investments. And that's how you create value by you know, making a bet on something that maybe someone didn't see. And they didn't see it because they never noticed that that was a problem. But it could be a multi-billion dollar problem for an entire market segment of people. And that's where the, the financial, um, opportunities come once we break down those those blind spots and go after those opportunities.
0: Yeah, look, I, I totally agree. I, I mean, I think that that is a, certainly a systemic problem, it's a societal problem, it's even more than that probably. Um, and I think it's something that's gonna take a long, a long period of time, it's not something you can just like quickly flip the switch and change. Mm-hmm. I, I've long thought that like having all these statistics like the one that we've been citing here, it's important. To provide context, it's important to get people to understand that there's a problem and that there's something that needs to happen. I've also thought, and having worked with like women tech founders here in Chicago and like other organizations, that a lot of times we don't spend enough time sharing the research of the market opportunities being missed. There's this massive hypocrisy, and this is like kind of a multiple things linked together here as part of the problem, but like there is this hypocrisy that we as investors will look at a small niche as long as it has a certain total addressable market
1: mm-hmm. in
0: SaaS or in any other product, it's totally fine. Like, oh, it's super focused. But yet if you take a, a niche based on geographic or background, like I was mentioning with Ruben, like it's a massive, the, the, like the Latin, US English and Spanish speaking population amount of money that they're spending alone is so massive. I think what he's doing to circumvent some of the the bullshit, quite honestly, that's going on is that he's like, look, this is a huge market. If you want me to just take all of it myself, I will. I don't have a problem with that. Like, and and it it draws this line where I think emerging GPs and and partners at funds and, and people who start their own funds, the next Arlen, like they can see huge opportunity in product lines that have just previously been ignored because it was, it was too niche and I don't understand the product. And I think the other part of this problem that is, we need to kind of solve. And this is a, there, there are tools that can be had, I think on the, in the early time, but I think in the micro, or I should say in the macro, it's, it's going to take a little while. It's just networking in diverse people. Like it's one thing to have a fund that maybe you have a, a, a di- person of a diverse background who's sitting on the board, who's making decisions. There's just not enough companies that have been backed by funds that create that kind of diversity. There's not enough founders of diversity that have been funded to get themselves in position. I wish that there were more programs. And, and the amplification you're talking about backstage, I think is a, a big part to do with this. Like, How do we get people from more diverse backgrounds better networked? Because to your point before, talking about 98% of, of fund managers or just AUM in general is handled by people who look like me. Part of that problem is that I look back at my school and it's like this person, like I can name 12 people who look and sound just like me. And so you feel like if you give me like a, a crappy deal, then it's going to like look bad on you because it's going to make its way around the cam circle. And I feel like when we look at a lot of diverse founders, there's no feeling whatsoever as the, as the investor that like there's any negative repercussions. If anything, they're thinking I'm going to be seen as like a, 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 good dude, a good deed doer because I did invest in something outside of my, my parameters. And I think that's the part the amplification part that backstage plays a huge role in. And then in general, like I would love to see more funds pushing out information about the different, like the markets that are not being acted upon. And I think that will be a quicker way to get people to like start investing money in these areas because they don't want to lose out because investors, as you've seen over the last two weeks going from web three to AI, like they will do anything if, if FOMO is part of the, Part of the
2: spin for them yeah i want to just touch on one thing really quickly um, which is about the first point you were making about huge markets and underrepresented founders being able to see or recognize those markets whereas vc might be blind to them in general um, yeah. and the point that i want to make is i think that that's absolutely true and we see that across our portfolio i also think underrepresented founders um, should be able to build SaaS products or SaaS companies Oh, 100%. Yeah. Web three, et cetera. And one problem that exists when you're doing the work that we do is that um, people will meet somebody that's a woman or a person of color and they'll email and they'll be like, oh, you should talk to backstage. Like you're a woman and backstage invests in women founders. So you should talk to backstage regardless of what they're building. And um, so there's some selection bias there as well. In our portfolio, we have companies like Undock, which is SaaS for calendar management, or um, Career Karma, which is like an ed tech company. And so it doesn't, there is arbitrage to be had in these overlooked markets, but there's also people that went to schools like MIT, Stanford, Harvard, that are building really technical, really advanced products. They also um, deserve funding and they shouldn't be slotted into like, only being viewed as from a diversity lens.
0: 100. Yeah, so I didn't mean to imply yeah, that. I'm just uh, saying,
2: for in general, yeah, not just you. It's,
0: that, it's such a great point because I have heard that a million times. And like, I actually have female friends who are founders who will email me, like, asking for in, like for introductions to Arlen group.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm
0: like, yes, certainly. But like, also, how about the other 25 funds that I have connections to that you should be talking to? And what you find out afterward, of course, is that they went through that same, you know, lot, but they got nowhere with it. And I, I don't know, I'm not the right person to solve the problem. I'm just looking at it going like, how do we create a better network system where people from all backgrounds have at least somebody who they know, who knows them, that they can make an introduction to every fun? Because the idea that we are, you know, obviously I think it's a way to get things moving quicker, but it certainly is not the solution to be focusing on like, oh, well, Ruben should handle Latin. It doesn't just make any sense. Like there is, I feel like we have so many, things going on. And it's like some of the stuff is like crisscrossing and some of the stuff is making sense and some of it's just distraction and noise. And I'm trying to figure out like what from the people who spend all day long working in this, like what can the rest of us who work in tech, whether you're a founder or you're an investor, you just work in a tech company, you're a developer, you're, a, you're in school. Like how do we start creating a narrative that is more in line with what we wanna see? Because right now I feel like that narrative is, is, is it's not clear.
1: Yeah, I think you mentioned solutions on particularly the network piece of it. I actually think some of the success that we've seen, and I think other funds are taking some of that um, type of practice is that we're actually kind of taking this network piece, this network requirement out of the equation as much by just having more open channels to reach us. Like, I think that's been such a barrier to, you know, underrepresented founders trying to get into VC, like getting getting into, be able to pitch someone that you might know, you know, you shouldn't be that barrier, really, if you think about it, uh, to get to the VC, right? Like, if you had a great product or or whatever um, company that you're working on, some of the barrier has been network driven. And that's such, I guess, it's been a long term systemic kind of issue that we can, Address by having at least some channels where we can have open applications and get founder uh, pitches to us without having to go through this whole network piece. I think that's just one very easy thing that we saw a lot of VCs do, especially over the last couple of years. I think some of that has actually been COVID driven by being just more open on social platforms and I can take a meeting with you over Zoom versus like saying there were investors that would not be, would not invest in a company if they had to take a flight to see that company. Like there were a lot of these barriers that you can literally just break down through making yourself more available as an investor. So if you're starting, you're an investor and you're starting to see that this is something that you wanna get into um, in terms of diversifying the deal flow that you're seeing, part of it is being more open and even saying, hey founders, uh, I invest in these sectors, feel free to reach out and just have them be able to book some time with you. You'd be surprised who actually starts reaching out. A lot of founders that have been overlooked by you know, venture capitalists are very scrappy and will find a way to get to you. I think a lot of it has just been held up in some of these more traditional ways of investing that aren't serving us as much in the future and even present day as the demographics of founders are also getting more diverse. I think this is something that's happening based on, like if you just look more broadly at demographics of this country, it's going to continue to get more and more minority majority as that kind of flips over the next 10, 20 years. That also has a big impact on who is creating tech companies. So that's already starting to happen. We see a lot of uh, diverse founders and a lot of the potential is there. It's just that they can't get to the right meetings or the right um, VC. So I I put a lot of the onus back on the investor in that that case, because I think the talent is there. A lot of it's just that you know, it's easy to stay in your, your closed network. If, but if you're really trying to find um, and uncover something that you feel like you haven't seen before, um, that's a way you can start doing it is really just making yourself more more available.
2: One other thing that's that could be really helpful is you mentioned that when you went to school, you thought you could think of like 12 people with a similar background to you that that like they just come to mind right away, right? Yeah. It's like now there's like this kind of... Um, like weight in the network where when you make referrals to each other, you have your reputation at stake. And so you want to make a good referral. So I think um, one thing that we can all do, everybody, is when we look at like our background, we w- when we look at where we went to school, we're not responsible for the other people that were in that room. We showed up in that room, we got into that room through some way, but everybody else that was there was there because they were selected by admission committee or legacy or what have you. But we can be responsible and we should take accountability for our networks today. So for example, um, something super actionable you could do is look at your LinkedIn connections. What percentage of your LinkedIn connections are women? What percentage of your LinkedIn connections are in different industries? By just taking deliberate action to diversify your network, it's amazing the value that you bring back to yourself. And when you go into this work with a, with a mindset of being additive to that new community that you build for yourself it just generates value for everybody that's in it. So if you're on Twitter, look at your twi- at who you're following on Twitter, what are the voices that have the greatest share on your timeline? What do those people look like? What are their backgrounds look like? If you're on LinkedIn, all of these professional places that, that you may be um, generating opportunities for yourself or creating opportunities for others, who are those people that you're taking opportunities like who are those people that you're engaging with and if you can examine that and try to rectify some of the disparities that you see you build a more inclusive room about yourself as you build your career going forward and everyone benefits
0: yeah i i don't disagree with this i, I think it, it even goes back to sort of two points um one Brittany brought up actually a second ago which is just like younger people communicating differently um i'll be honest we just raised a series a for for Songfinch and I cut to the front of the line, not going to lie, like on multiple deals, like most of the people I would talk to, I'd say, hey, take a volume approach. There's a thousand people you should reach out to try to work your way in. I knew who to call at 35 places and got 32 no's, but I got to talk to who I needed to to hear the no and know it was a real no. You know, I, I think there's a lot of work to be done with getting a certain clientele of people at, reeducated in a way because they're not really open to it. And there's always gonna be like a backdoor approach where like so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so is gonna figure out how to get in. And I think that that's one of those problems that, well, I, I would like to solve it. I would like to address it. I actually think time addresses it even faster than we can, like to the point that Brittany was making about people operating, you know, we're gonna have a, a minority majority. We're gonna have, a, we're already seeing it. A huge swath of people starting funds who are way younger They're way different makeup of the people who previously were like, you know, Goldman to MBA to whatever, name your random PE firm. Like we're seeing founders turn around and spit up funds. And I think we're gonna start to see younger people communicating in a way where like in, you know, maybe, (coughs) excuse me, maybe as soon as five years, if you're a fund and you don't have like a, effectively a a blind discord to like apply and reach out, you're gonna be viewed weirdly. Like I actually think that's where we're heading. And like that's a good yeah. thing, but I think that will solve this faster than us trying to figure out how to like change angry old man yelling at machine to like redo how he thinks of business or she thinks of business. And I think the other part of this is like, man, the FOMO thing. It's just so real. Like, yeah. f- like yeah. it, funds cannot stand the idea that you're getting a better, more diverse flow of 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 income and returns because you're like they all copy each other. Like at some point you'll have like the seven, seven, sixes of the world leading by example right now. But like soon enough, there will be other funds that are sitting there staring at them going like, why did they beat us to the punch again and again and again? And I think that's mm-hmm. a big part of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Great. Yeah. And to that point, like I think, um, you know, most of the the returns in the market are actually being created by emerging funds, just oh for sure, fund by fund. Yeah. So if you look at the whole span of funds, um, this new class of funds that are coming out, uh, fund one, fund two, are able to deliver higher multiples on their fund than maybe just like if you look at just all established funds. So that's also something really interesting to your point, Scott. Like I think secondly, I guess the more diversity is actually coming through the emerging funds too. And now I'm putting that together where diverse leadership, a lot of that's being um led by the emerging funds. Like, like I think about backstage. You know Arlen's story, she essentially started backstage because she wasn't going to be able to get a job at an established fund, right? So if an established fund won't hire her, she's starting a, a fund and we're seeing deals that now some of those funds come, are coming back around and investing with us because they saw um, yeah. the deals that we're able to get into. So I think there is there is an interesting thing happening and it's it is happening now where we're seeing these emerging funds, a lot of them led by women and people of color that are essentially leading the this wave of of being able to invest more more and more in diverse founders and then you see them being co-investments are happening with some of the larger funds that didn't see it at the time but just kind of needed someone to kick off that fomo and we've we've been in that position to do that for a lot of our our companies
0: arbitrage is my favorite game uh, it's my favorite part of the startup piece when you get big enough where you start looking at acquisitions it's the same thing with funds i, I think there's a really great opportunity with the, the just the system right now, The, the I, don't, I hate to say this, but like, because it's broken, it can be uh, it can be played a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at the system and I think there's no reason that emerging funds, particularly those of, of diverse backgrounds, but it's also in my mind, diverse background and this should also be young. Like this is, we, we like don't really talk about this because there's more important, you know, classifications and things that need, need addressing. But the truth of the matter is forever, if you were like 22 other than the founder, you're not getting into venture. You're not 25 and you're able to like actually be out there. You may have the best network in the world and smart as can be, but you're just not out, you're not in here cause you're too young or whatever. Like that's another part of this. We're starting to see younger people, more diverse people, people who are communicating in a different way in a more transparent way. Um, they're motivated differently. It's not just about the bucks. It's not about paper markups and things like that. There's like a real piece. I can envision in a a not too distant future, if emerging funds continue on the track they are, where they more or less own the pre-seed and seed stage and have the ability to have an incredibly diverse board before you even get to the quote unquote, like real institutional. And at that point, it almost flips on its head. It goes from like five years ago, if I started my company, you'd have five white guys and make way for one more white guy every round. And now we're getting to a point where like the companies themselves are more diverse like our leadership team at Songpitch alone is half male, half female, a quarter minority, a quarter LGBTQ, And we didn't do anything about that on purpose. That's just what happened. Like that's, that's the type of people that work in our business. And I just think that you're going to start to see if this is done right. We're like the board at origin is already more diverse than it was yesterday. Then you're going to add the backstage capitals of the world who are going to have a seat at the table. And the next round will be somebody else from diverse. And then it'll be, you know, the larger, more established funds that are investing in the later A, B, and C round. And probably, if there's any success, they will probably be uh, an LP in backstage to begin with, because that's the fastest way for them to get exposure. So, like, I kind of feel like while there's still a lot of noise that we need to make and, and draw attention to a lot of these things, I also think like the groundwork is being laid right in front of us. And there's kind of an element of just like time and opportunity for this to kind of turn full circle.
2: Mm-hmm. I think a lot of what you shared is spot on. Like you've identified really key trends that are happening in venture capital. For what I've seen, what breaks down is you might have a founder who's very intentional. So like, let's say you have a founder who is a white guy and he's very intentional about having a diverse cap table because he wants to ensure that as his company succeeds, he's generating wealth for people. So this person is like very consciously motivated and it raises a pre-seed round and raises a seed round successfully from diverse VCs, that step change going from your seed to your series A is a big deal. And um, right now we see the greatest concentration of diverse fund managers in this pre-seed and seed area. And it drops off considerably as you go series A, series B, and yeah. then beyond, right? And the challenge there is the higher up you go in a stack, the larger amounts of money you're raising, the more institutional your company is, Um, your board generally turns over because you have new people coming onto the board. And so um, our challenge at Backstage and for anyone else that's investing in this ecosystem is helping to steward that process so that if there is an underrepresented founder that's going through that process, that they have the skills that they need and they're protected so they can continue to lead their company as they grow it. And, um, yeah. you know, just going on from there, it's just, it's not going to happen on its own without deliberate action from the VC community and the founders involved.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's a really important, I'm glad you brought that up. It's a really important part here is the seed to A piece, a hundred percent is sort of like where you, you start to see the ceiling of things going back to the way, the way it was. And I don't know what the answer is, but I, I do think education from funds like yourselves to like make sure that founders understand what they're getting themselves into. But I also think like having the opportunity to have a fun three. Like you guys are just talking about fun one and fun two. It's fun three and four that ultimately get you guys to where you're writing checks in the series A level, not just the pre It's like part of this is just a matter of time. Part of it is like a matter of making the the larger ecosystem understand that you have to be intentional. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's it's easy to just like point at things right now. But I think we need to like actually live it how we talk it. And I think sometimes that gets lost in the, in the mix, especially as we start to see like down rounds and layoffs and people yeah. having a harder time raising their funds and priorities shift. And all of a sudden we are starting all over again. And it's like, I don't want to do that again.
2: Yeah. I mean, we're definitely seeing a lot of exciting progress in terms of who's coming to the table to write checks, but what we want to see is that 0.12% number change that you mentioned earlier. And until the diversity of check writers increases at those later stages, we won't see that number shift just because of the way the math is mathing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. So let's let's assume that all this is going to work because we're going to get there. I have no, no doubt in my mind that we're going to get there. What does it look like? What does the future of investing look like to you? Like if you, if you look at like what Backstage's role in changing all this is, what is the future you think you're going to see? What is the future you want to see? Um, obviously we talked about how these things need to change, but I think there's more to it than that. It's, It's I think the whole VC game kind of changes. And I'm just curious what you both think of what that change looks like.
1: Yeah, for me, it's very visual. I think I also just want to see people that look like me, just more people that are both successful tech founders as well as tech investors. And that's this whole representation piece. Um, the reason we focus, at least even me, even me personally focusing on underrepresented founders is because the underrepresentation, it's visual, like you walk into a room and you don't see people um, of different backgrounds of different um, demographics. And like, I just know that we're missing out because of it, regardless of who you are, you could be the, the straight white man, but because we're only seeing kind of ideas and um, you know, people benefiting from those ideas that are all all kind of in the same circle of demographics, we're all missing out. So I think just broadly, I just really picture like, looking at any tech publication or any VC publication, Midas list, everyone, I just want to look at it and see a variety of people and it not be just the same kind of faces that I'm seeing right now. And I think it will benefit everyone if we're able to see just, yeah, just more. I think, yeah, for me, it's very like, I have an actual picture. It Daisy. goes back to the
0: the Arlen can't be it if you can't see it.
2: Yeah, I think we have a saying um, inside of Backstage, which is that the future is here. And so I agree with what Brittany was saying. There's um, even just photos we've in 2018, we brought our portfolio to South by Southwest. And it was about at the time we had 100 companies in the portfolios and there were about 45 companies represented in the picture. And it it's what Brittany is describing. It's here at the intersection of business and society, truly. Whereas when you go to many other rooms right now, you're at the intersection of exclusive networks and business. And so until we can level up where all of the rooms are at the intersection of business and society, we all miss out, just like Brittany was saying. (laughs) Um, And so I think one last point I wanna make on this is that to me, this is not a zero-sum game. Straight white guys do not lose in order for women to come up. We can generate wealth. We see markets that others are blind to. We create products and we create value and we can all do this together and benefit together. And that's, what's exciting to me In a capitalist society. We should, we should all just like, that's the magic of capitalism, right? Everybody should have a chance. And it, when that is realized, then the wealth will be just incredible beyond what we have seen so far.
0: I absolutely love how you put the end of that. And that is, it sounds like something we should have heard a million times. And yet I've actually never heard anyone say that before. Just like straight up, like straight white man does not lose because female minority enters the game. Like it's, a, it's an age old saying, but the truth still remains. It is easier to add another seat at the table than it is to take one away.
2: And I've never been in a
0: situation in my entire life where adding new product, adding new idea, adding new money, takes away opportunity and money. That's just mm-hmm. like not how capitalism, as you said, works. It's not how the world works. Yeah, we're, so I'm not sure really... what we're hiding from. <laughs> no,
1: we're trying... Right, I'm
0: like, I, I like, like let me good. help well, you together. help me.
1: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Absolutely. This is super fantastic to, to like hear from you both, like, in the perspective of it. Obviously, I try to Uh, obviously have a diverse show and topics and like, we want to, we want to do the right things, but also it's like, it's not easy. Like it's not easy to to go on a a show and talk about, I think complicated, difficult problems. And there's people who are listening who quite frankly, aren't listening. And I'm hopeful that this maybe helps them listen and open their ears, maybe a little bit more Um, before we uh, end the show here real quick. I I do want to talk a little bit about, you know, there's a partnership that's budding. I know that uh, there'll be a pod coming out soon here with Chris Lestino, the CEO King's Crowd and Arlen, who you've talked about already, as the the founder of Backstage, we're gonna have a partnership. Is there anything you guys individually are excited about or or wanna share a little bit about from your side of of what the opportunity looks like?
2: Yeah, so I'll just share from my perspective, um, one thing that's very important to us at Backstage is creating access. So in all of the work that we've done to create access for founders, we've also um, done some really groundbreaking things to create access for investors. And that thesis is underlying this new partnership that we have with King's Crowd. We want to bring more investors into the opportunity to invest in some of the very best founders that are out there that have gone through our selection process. We really believe in what the King's Crowd team is building and think that this is a next step partnership for us. Um, And just to hit on it really quickly, in case anybody is not familiar, what we've done before is we, in 2021, we raised $5 million from 7,000 about retail investors. Um, 70% of which invested $200 or less into Backstage. And those folks now have opportunity to benefit from the upside of Backstage's entire portfolio. All the investments we've made in the past and what we're going to make into the future. Prior to when we did that raise, if you wanted to have that kind of of exposure, you had to be an institutional LP. So the the doors were closed to you. Um, We also have had Backstage crowd where people can come and invest alongside us into startups, either through platforms like Republican WeFunder or through private deals for accredited investors. And so this upcoming partnership for King, with King's Crowd is the next step in that. And so um, it just, it rings true to what we have always done and will continue to do, which is to create access for others that have been excluded previously.
0: Brady, any thoughts on that or you- Oh
2: yeah, no, I was just thinking if any of this
1: conversation resonated with you, like definitely follow for more. We, um, launching this partnership with King's Crowd means a lot to us as a fund because the access piece is core to all of this picture working out. Like if I see that picture of all of the, the diverse founders uh, being represented in the, you know, in the rooms that we're in, um, in the tech publications that we're reading and listening to, it actually starts with who's investing in them. And we've tried to make the access to investing as accessible as possible. Through the crowd campaign that Christy mentioned, through our funds, we actually try to keep our fund minimums um, as accessible as we can. If you're interested in investing in what Backstage is doing as a fund, we are making that as accessible uh, to LPs to become um, essentially an investor in our fund so that you're helping invest in the companies that we, we invest in. So it's all kind of this piece of a pie that we um, wanna make sure that people are able to, to have access to so that they can end up uh, benefiting from all of the work that we're doing and in this kind of narrative and picture that we're trying to change within venture.
0: Totally agree. Thank you both for taking the time to jump on here. Excited about the partnership as well. Uh, where do people go to learn more about Backstage as well as to learn more about both of you or follow you guys?
2: Backstagecapital.com at backstage underscore cap on Twitter or at Backstage Capital on Instagram. I'm I'm Christy Pitts on all the handles, or all the places, and I'm really my last thing I want to say is just thank you for having us and, and facilitating this conversation and being deliberate in the space that you have. I appreciate that very much. Yeah,
1: I no, that appreciate what
0: you are both doing. Thank
2: you. Britt, where can people find you? Oh, okay,
1: my handle. I'm, I'm less active on social, but if you do find me, I know that you are really looking. <laughs> so
2: I appreciate that. <laughs>
1: It's I, Britt Davis, B-R-I-T-T um, Davis. At, it's on Twitter. And that's pretty much the only social that I'm on. But definitely follow backstage um, doing the work here. So appreciate it.
0: If you're interested in self-directed investing from startups to crypto and public markets, my Substack is a great way to learn how professional investors screen, review, and pull the trigger on deals. Join the largest community of micro-investors and startup founders on Substack by going to katoon.com.